All right, a lot to talk about this hour. We're going to be covering tomatoes, and we've already got some great tomato questions, but garden questions, too. If you're trying something new, you're a first-time gardener, and you're doing some vegetables, I have the right guest for you coming up. 404 872 Hey, everybody, it's Green and Growing. I want to jump right to Anne. Anne's calling from Atlanta, and she's been very patiently waiting a question about Indian hawthorn. Good morning, Anne. Good morning. Thank you, Ashley, for taking my call. Yeah. My question is, back in February, I, my son gave me some Indian hawthorns, mm-hmm. and I put them from his yard to my yard. I remember talking to you when y'all were doing right. that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I did. But now <clears throat> the, the leaves are not, they're standing there not, the new leaves are not coming out on them. Did, what did I do wrong? It could just be a little bit of transplant shock. Um, So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't worry a whole lot about it. If you were to fertilize, I would just do a light application of fertilizer, nothing that's going to stress it, maybe half strength of whatever, like, you know, shrub, bear tree and shrub fertilizer or something like that, or bio-advanced, it's not bear anymore, bio-advanced tree and shrub fertilizer, something like that. But you should have new growth. You know, it's just maybe slow to start from transplant shock. Right, because they're eight years old when mm-hmm. it, I took them from his yard to my yard, and maybe uh, they just got to get adjusted to, I guess, the, the new growth in my yard, I guess. I, I think know. so. And two, I know we may have talked about this before, Anne, but um, be on the lookout for leaf spot. Once they do start leafing out, and if we have really humid, you know, overnights and things in the mm-hmm. summertime, Indian hawthorn, they're pretty... um susceptible to like a fungus leaf spot so be real Mm -hmm. careful looking for little purple spots on the leaves when i had indian hawthorn i always had like a fungicide handy in the garage just in my arsenal of you know garden tools and things like that so kind of keep that in mind you know watch that new growth and make sure that once we get into that humidity and the heat of summer that you're not going to have leaf spots stay ahead of it with a with a fungicide or something like that so what type of fungicide should i get um, Bonide makes one and it's got mancazeb. That's the active ingredient. I know that's a funny name, but it's, you look at all the bonide fungicides and I think the best one for leaf spot, the active ingredient is mancazeb. Um, and it'll Can say, right. Yeah. M-A-N-C-O-Z-E-B. Uh, C-M-A-N-C is in cat. C-O-Z-E-B. It almost ends in zebra. Z-E-B is the last okay. three letters. Uh, Mancazeb. And that'll say, you know, prevents leaf spot and some other things on the label. But have that handy, Anne, because I know you've gone through a lot of trouble wanting to keep those Indian hawthorns. So I want to make sure you do not get caught off guard with that. Thank you so much for the call. I'm glad you followed back up. Keep me up to date. You and your son did a great job with those, so I want to make sure they survive. All right, special guest of the hour, Joe Lample. Many of you know him as Joe Gardner. He's got an entire my gosh, I don't even know what to call it, Joe, portfolio of social media presence and TV and webinars and a great community Facebook page that everybody is just really supportive nationwide, all these wonderful followers of yours that uh, interact with one another. Welcome back to the show. Well, hey, Ashley. Thanks for having me. So good to have you. And so I love talking to you this time of year because, well, you're busy, so it's quite selfish of me to grab you at this time of year. <laughs> but at the same time, you're in, you've are in. you got so many irons in the fire, but you've got such good information for people. And I want you to talk a little bit about why you are known as Joe Gardner and how your love of gardening and like specifically really vegetable gardening and educating mm-hmm. folks in that realm. How did that start for you? <laughs> wow. We only have an hour, right? I just need to make sure. <laughs> well, uh, 
you know, my love of gardening started when I was eight years old growing up in Miami and I uh, followed my dad around the yard all weekend. And um, I just, I don't know. I just was fascinated by everything outside and, and how he'd do what he'd do. He's not really a gardener. He's a weekend warrior. He was. And um, I don't know. I just picked it up from there. Something innately got to me and it never left me. And in fact, every day it grows stronger even to this day. But Joe Gardner came about back in around 2002. I was going to a party. I was hosting um, DIY Networks Fresh from the Garden at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's a sister station to HGTV. So there were a number of HGTV gardening shows in production at that time produced by one particular company. So they were having a party one night. And I was walking down the driveway to the party. And Joe Washington from, um, what was his show, Landscape Solutions or Groundbreakers? Groundbreakers, I think. Anyway. He uh, he saw me walking down the driveway. He said, hey, here comes Joe Gardner. And I thought, well, that sounds good. Uh-huh. And so I went home. And this is the, this is in the days when you could go on to Google or, or dot, uh, GoDaddy and get a dot com mm-hmm. before they were all taken. And so I went and checked. I said, oh, I wonder if I, that's available. So I went and looked up JoeGardner.com, and it was available. And I took it, and I tra- ended up trademarking it. And it's become a major part of my company is the you know the Joe Gardner brand and I'm the just I'm just the Joe behind Joe Gardner that's, that's what it. I was going to call I was going to call it like a franchise but really all of the different things you have going yeah they're so well focused and concentrated there at joegardner.com and the Joe Gardner um, Facebook page it's like a private group but you accept you know most everybody into it but why do you keep that private and how does that benefit all your followers you know, it's a, it's 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 a it's a, called a closed group according to Facebook, mm-hmm. and that just means that the people that want to get in just have to be approved. And the reason that was not the initial way that we did that. I didn't have any idea that it was going to grow to almost forty thousand people in a few years. I just wanted it to be a small community of gardeners who wanted to share information, and and it just exploded. And you know, everybody that's been on Facebook knows that. People can get pretty nasty there, and then there's there's the trolls, and there's the people that have self promotional interest, and that's not what I was after. So we had to end up making it a closed group, where you just had to request access. And you know, we I always say anybody that just answers some basic questions like you know how did you hear about us and whatever basic three questions, just so we know that you're human and you're a nice person and you understand <laughs> the rules, we let you in. And uh, it's an incredible community of gardeners of every skill level, from brand new to people that have been gardening all their life. It's incredible. It really is, seeing people nationwide, and you even have some international people in that group, too, but how gardeners share knowledge. And I think, you know, Walter and I talked about this over the years, but you and I are so blessed to be in this industry because nine out of ten of them, they are nice people. Um, So you do have to kind of keep the doors a little pulled back for those that just want to wreak havoc. But most everyone in the gardening world is so supportive and so encouraging, and that's kind of why we're here together, too, just to help folks out, and it's not – competitive you know it doesn't have a competitive nature gardening is a very uh charitable kind of you know thing to do with one another for sure so we do have some questions for you joe and we're going to take those in just a moment randy in lawrenceville calling about fertilizing tomatoes and honey in atlanta Uh needs more help with container growing so i knew that you would be the right person for these things but Of your latest endeavors, uh, we saw each other a couple of weekends ago with the garden farm grown kind of project that you and your daughter work on together. How many seedlings did you start months ago to get all these plants? 3,500. Wow. Like literally put 3,500 seeds in containers. We did. 
and we and we transplanted every one into bigger containers. And then sold played. them. And we were selling them. We're not sold out, and they look better. The irony is they look better than they've ever looked after last week's rain. They are so incredible. They could win poster awards for beauty, <laughs> but um, we have quite a few still out there, 30 varieties of tomato seedlings. And Amazing. peppers, too. Now, yeah. what of the, you know, some of the tomato plants that I saw in the names are, like, fantastic. They're really original, really creative, some of these. But what makes some of these tomato varieties heirloom? Can you explain that? Sure. Heirloom varieties are, um, first of all, they're open-pollinated, which means they come true to seed if you save the seed. So they're not hybrid. It didn't take human beings crossing, you know, two species of tomatoes, two varieties of tomatoes, to create a new variety. They just open, they just come true to see. But the other thing is they're typically 50 years old. That varies. That definition varies depending on who you ask, but mm-hmm. they've been handed down through generations and they have a story. They, they were handed down because there was something special about that tomato or that pepper or that bean or whatever uh, that made it special and worthy of saving. And that's really what makes it an heirloom. It's got a story and it's been passed down through generations and it comes true to seed if you save the seed. When you said they each have a story, that that just jogged my memory. When you and I were sitting together, I asked you about one. It had like mortgage in the name, mortgage lifter. Was that it? Yeah, that was it. That's but a great one. That's tell that story. It's a short story, but I mean that just yeah. goes to show how you know these are appreciated over time and over generations that these seeds are kept. There was a man in West Virginia. I think he owned a, a brake shop or a radiator shop, and on, on the top of a mountain, and. He, he was so known for his tomatoes. When people would drive up there, like truckers would drive up there, they'd all buy his tomato. I think they were the seeds. I'm not even sure they were the plants. But anyway, he became so popular. People, and this is back in the turn of the century or even earlier. Than, well, I guess it's after that, but early, early on. And um, he sold so many of his seeds or his tomato seedlings that he was able to pay off his business and his, and his uh, house from the sales or the proceeds of his his plants. That's so, <laughs> so cool. It was that good. I mean, people drive for many, many miles back in the day to get his stuff. So now we know it as Mortgage Lifter, and that's just one yeah. of the cool names. And, I mean, every tomato I've seen you grow, every color you can imagine, the purples, the golds, the yellows, just yeah. fantastic tomatoes. And you share those with Georgia others. Streak. I'm growing Georgia Streak in honor of Georgia. Which is a beautiful bicolor, tricolor tomato with a kind of an orange yellow base with red and pink and orange shoulders coming down. It's gorgeous. Yum. All right. So, if any of you want to see more just of Joe's garden, and it's right here north of Metro Atlanta, local, even though you do uh, Growing a Greener World, which is a nationwide television show, the farm yeah. is right here in Georgia. Go to joegardener.com. Joe, we're going to take a break, but I want to talk okay. about epic tomatoes. And you oh, yeah. have ways that we can grow epic tomatoes, and that that term is uh is is weighted because I want folks to join in on that and know what that's all about. So stay Great. tuned. I'm going to take a break and check traffic and weather and your garden questions for Joe and I. Four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty. It's green and growing on WSB. Seven twenty-four. It's going to reach the mid-70s today. It's going to be partly cloudy today and tomorrow. Highs tomorrow around 83. Be sure to use the sunscreen if you're outdoors with mom tomorrow. Happy early Mother's Day to those of you to uh, whom it applies. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. So bringing back my guest, Joe Lample, Joe Gardner. And I made reference to, Joe, 
Epic Tomatoes. Tell the folks mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. That's a little inside knowledge between you and I, but not any longer. Yeah, well, it's it's it, that Epic Tomatoes term comes from the best-selling book by Craig LaHoulier, my friend in North Carolina, who is a tomato-growing expert and breeder and seed saver. He is a literally a world-renowned authority on growing tomatoes, everything about tomatoes. So he wrote this book a few years ago called Epic Tomatoes. It happens to be one of my all-time favorite books, not just about tomatoes or vegetable gardening, but just it's a great book. And so anyway, uh, I do these online courses in my online gardening academy, and every year I'm trying to add at least one premier course. And I thought, how cool would it be to grow uh, to do a course on growing epic tomatoes. So I like the, I like the title, but I, I can't imagine doing that course without my friend Craig. And so I called him uh, last year and I said, Craig, would you do this course with me? And he jumped on it. And so we're doing a course called Growing Epic Tomatoes, but it's, it's using his expertise and my experience and um, doing an online course, and it's launching next week. But it's all around Craig LaHoulier and the term Epic Tomatoes from his book which is awesome. Now, if you're into online learning, and a lot of us have really gotten more accustomed to that over the last year with COVID, I took so many just free webinars Mm -hmm. exactly like this online. You sit down for an hour in the comfort of your own home. You learn so much. For those of you wanting to wade a little more into that life, Joe's Online Academy is fantastic. I have Mm. both years, this year and last Mm. year, taken the Master Seed Starting course And it's well worth your time, well worth the money. But for those of you just waiting in, this is a free webinar. So when you go to joegardner.com slash tomato webinar, and don't spell tomato with an E. No, no, no. Don't do that. Tomato webinar. But do spell gardener with an E. Joe Gardner. Yeah, we have a couple couple of E's. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so joegardner.com slash tomato webinar. That's where you're going to register for one of four courses, but they're all the same, Joe, right? Four days in a row. They're all live. We're just giving people different opportunities for the time of day that they take it. It starts Wednesday, and then there's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So we vary the times to give people options on attending the live because we do Q&A in it also. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. So the ideal moment to harvest them, why patience is so important. And then I love this teaser, Joe, for sure. The one rule in every gardening book and on every plant tag you may want to start breaking. So there's going to be a lot to learn about tomatoes in Joe's free webinar, Five Keys to Growing Your Own Epic Tomatoes. So I'll definitely be posting the link on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page. We're going to have Joe back for some of your great calls. And I also want to ask him about one of my things on the garden to-do list, removing suckers from tomato plants. Huh, should we really be doing that or not? Joe will have the answer. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. It's Green and Growing on WSB. This is going to be the perfect half hour of the show for your calls and your questions. 404-872-0750 because I'm joined by Joe Lample, Joe Gardner. Many of you know him as the host of Growing a Greener World on public television. And he's an author. He's been doing this for many more years than I have been. And Joe, you're you're not old at all. I don't mean that. But you have a couple a couple of decades on me as far as garden experience and exposure. So guys, if you have questions about any plant that you want to grow in the garden, Joe's been there. He's done that. And Joe, are herbs off the table or you'll take calls on that too? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So some some definite great things you want to check out joegardner.com and we're talking about the free webinar for tomatoes. You can register for that there as well on joegardner.com. The webinars are different times next Wednesday through Saturday, so whatever kind of fits your schedule, you'll hop on and learn so much. I will be at the one on Thursday for sure, 100%. Yeah, I started my tomatoes from seed again this year and I've had great success, but I I was a little late, so my plants aren't quite ready to put outside. And I'm glad with the terrible rains we had earlier in the week, they weren't outside yet. Um, But I'm about a week away. I'm I'm in the hardening off process, Joe, and you tell us all all about that. So for, for people that start plants from seed, what is that hardening off process and how key is that? It's, it, it's very key for people that start tomatoes or any plant really from seed. What happens is, assuming that you're doing this indoors and not just doing it directly outside where it's exposed to the sun from day one, that's fine. But otherwise, when we're providing artificial light, that light is at best a tenth as strong as sunlight. Mm-hmm. And just imagine you, you know, living your life inside and suddenly going outside and, you know, laying out in the sun for anything more than a few minutes. You're going to get sunburned. And that's what happens to our tender young seedlings that have been living their life thus far in artificial light. When we take them outside, we have to ease them into that. We just can't go from inside to outside and, you know, one and done. It's not going to work because you're going to burn your plants literally to death. So you have to transition them a little more each day. I say start with 30 minutes and then take them out, you know, bring them back in the next day, add 30 minutes to that. And so over the course of a week at minimum – 10 days on average, you're increasing that incremental time of exposure. And by the time you get to that seven or 10 days, the plants have acclimated to a much stronger light environment and then they can handle it. But if you went from no light to full light, you're going to be very disappointed and you're going to set yourself back weeks, if not completely, and you know, you have to start over. So you can avoid it by hardening off. And what are some of the visual signs that we see on a plant and on those leaves of, I guess, what you would call sun scald? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Yeah. Well, you went from a beautiful little seedling that you took outside to introduce it to the sunlight. And if you get complacent and you think, oh, this is beautiful day, I'm going to leave it out a little longer and you bring it back in, that moment or later that day or by the next day, you're going to see bleaching or tan or pale spots or more on your leaves, depending on the extreme exposure, it'll be a little bit or a lot, but you will definitely see that it stuck the life out of your leaves and it's going to make, it's going to take all the green away partially or totally. And like me, when I'm out in the sun too long, I mean, I've got fair yeah. Irish skin. I turn red. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's well, a definite visual cue of a different color that just doesn't quite look right for sure. You'll Yeah, you'll see it. You'll know that something's not right and it's, it's sun scald. 404-872-0750 to get in here and talk to a TV show host, guys. Joe has his own show, Growing a Greener World, written a couple of books. So this is the right place to get your questions answered about gardening. One, Joe, that we had was about tomato fertilizer. And I'll Mm -hmm. start off by saying I did just fertilize my seedlings for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And Mm -hmm. I used um, DRAM tools. You know, they make a dramatic organic liquid fertilizer. So I really, really Uh diluted that. I think it's got a fertilizer with kelp. It's organic. Um, I used that for the seedlings. They loved it. They were happy. But Mm. once we actually get out in the garden bed, what do we use to fertilize tomatoes and other things and how often? Yeah. Okay. Great question. So first of all, let me just preface this by saying I'm an organic gardener. So I'm using 
Uh, fish emulsion, typically a liquid diluted solution of fish emulsion at um, the prescribed rate on the container, which has mostly nitrogen in it. And early in the growing phase, you want to promote the vegetative growth. Mm-hmm. So that's the part above ground and get that up and going. And so I'm watering, I'm letting the plants get settled in first. So I'm usually waiting about a week after I plant to let the roots get acclimated and the plants condition. And then I go ahead and give them a little boost with that liquid fertilizer. And then I'm doing that about every 10 days to two weeks. Tomatoes are heavy feeders. So they like having nutrients provided to them in addition to having healthy soil. That's the first and foremost thing. And then uh, when the tomatoes start putting on flowers and, and going to fruit, I shift my ratio of fertilizer and go to something that has more of an emphasis on phosphorus, which is root and, and uh, flower and fruit development. That's where the emphasis with phosphorus goes. So I don't want to continue to push vegetative growth because that detracts from the focus of the plant now diverting its energy into root and flower and fruit development. That's what I want. And the way that you promote that is to back off on the nitrogen side and increase the phosphorus side. And that's that middle number, folks, when you're looking at a fertilizer, like 10, 10, 10 is the middle 10 is the phosphorus. That's key. Right. So when you're buying your fertilizer, you're looking for a number that's bigger in the middle than the first or the third number. And that's how you know that you're getting more phosphorus than the others. And I use a a liquid fish emulsion at that point, too, that's a different brand. And um, it's got more of the middle number than the first number. So what Joe does and what I plan to do to organic fertilizers and things like that. So as soon as you go into Pike Nursery, I mean, you see the line at the the back of the store, the line of all the brands that they carry, and they're all organic. Uh, EB Stone makes a good one. Espoma, Mm -hmm. Joe, they Espoma makes like Holly Tone and that whole line. So they've got Tomato Tone. No surprise there. Um, Dr. Earth as well. So organics right there on the bag. It's pretty visible. And just like you said in the beginning with the number higher in nitrogen, that first number, do as the label prescribes, right? Yeah, absolutely. The thing about fertilizer, it's good, but you know, we oftentimes think if it's good, more is better. But yeah. that is not true with fertilizer because you can burn your plants. You can hurt your plants. You can send them backwards by overdoing it. Never add more than the label. The label knows what the right amount is. Believe me, they go through a lot of testing. Don't push that. Trust the label or go less. Less is better. Less is better than more with fertilizer. Very good. All right. Well, I think we're ready for some calls. Thanks for whoever asked about the tomato fertilizer question. That was a good one. Up first to talk to you and I, Joe, is Honey calling from Atlanta. Good morning, Honey. Good morning. I love your question. Yeah, we hear you just fine. Oh, okay. I've, uh, I usually get you guys because I work third shift. Okay. And so I work from 11 to 730, so I dial you the minute that I get off work. And, girl, you're uh, watching that watch going, I'm ready for bed in a few minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, I actually, I've gotten a chance. I'm, I've left work. I've gone grocery shopping and everything. Wait, no, you know. Amen. Look at you. <laughs> Don't you love I work that weird shift, too. Some days I'm off by, like, 11 a.m., and I go into the grocery store, and it's like, a ghost town, but I, I love it. Mm. I've gotten used to it. Yeah. I don't have to go at 4 or 5 yeah, p.m. I love it, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, no, ma- yeah, no <laughs> managers, nothing. It's just wonderful, a wonderful shift. Good. But um, I, uh, my first, uh, the first thing I had ever grown was a tomato I called um, um, the man who used to be on here. I can't remember his yeah, name. Yeah, Walter Reeves. Uh-huh, Walter. Right, yeah. right, right. And he, he told me uh, I was a new uh, gardener or whatever. So I have, my garden is on my patio, and I'd like to hear more of, uh, help with container growers on your show. 
Um, yeah. I've learned from past, this is my second year being a gardener, and I've learned what I can and can't grow because I only get like three or four hours of sun hmm. uh, in the spring, maybe four in the summer. So I've learned what I can and can't grow. I stopped buying stuff like tomatoes and stuff like that because it just doesn't work. Um, but I I do do chili. I do chili. I have uh, the chocolate chili, and um, I think that's about it. Um, oh, strawberries, alpine strawberries. I think that they grow in the shade from what I heard. Is that right? Yeah. Well, they um, anything with a fruit on it prefers more sun than shade. But you can get away with strawberries. Things that are small and fast to grow uh, can get by with less sun. So strawberries are an example of that. And then you want to focus on things that are mostly vegetative, like uh, lettuce and spinach and kale and things that don't have you don't have to wait for it to put on a tomato or a pepper or a big cabbage head or broccoli head. So uh, herbs would be a great thing for you. Basil would be good for you. Um, but you've got lots of options. And then on the container thing that you talked about, good for you that you're making do with what you've got to work with because containers, anything can grow in a container. We don't have to have a big raised bed or an in-ground bed to grow stuff. We, if, you, if your container is, you know, depending on what you're growing, but like with the bigger stuff, even a five-gallon container, I prefer bigger than that, but you can get by with a five-gallon container. And you can get platforms that sit under the container that have wheels on it. So you can chase the sun. Right. You know, if you've got right. sun moving through the actually, sky, you can chase the sun. Yes, sir. Actually, I like smart pots. Yeah, smart pots are great. Right, and so I have every size. Um, and I did grow a cabbage last year in my container. How did that do? Good. It well, was great. Uh, it, it was great. It, I had I've got I had got really really good great great leaves. It was curling over and forming a head, and then bam, it bolted. <laughs> Oh, that yeah. happened so fast. That happened to my broccoli, too. I was devastated. I just didn't get it quick enough. Well, so, honey, right. that, that may be right up your alley, too. I love that you've got a, a pepper. You're doing strawberries. And then, Joe, like you mentioned, those cool season crops, the leafy stuff, that's mm -hmm. going to be great. Yeah, and, and grow bags. You know, back to containers for a second. You know, you don't need a big, rigid container. These days, a lot of people, including myself, are growing in, in these basically these nylon bags, these grow bags that fold down flat when you're not using them and you just store them until the next season and they last, they're durable, they're lightweight, they've got handles on them, they're portable and uh, inexpensive. So, and they're not flat. I mean, they're, the nylon's got plastic in it, but they're not big bulky plastic things or heavy clay or anything like that. One of my best followers on the Facebook page, um, she mentioned that as well. She was like, oh, I use grow bags or I guess that's what she called them. And I was like, yeah. hmm, tell me more. What is this? She sent me the link on Amazon where these grow bags are. That is fantastic. That is really, really, it's just easier. It's not a bulky container like a big pot. It's lighter weight. It's breathable. Man, those are great for container gardening. They are great. I'm, I've got probably, I've got 15 big grow bags right now with full of potatoes and I'll do tomatoes in them this weekend and they're fantastic. So it's a great way to add space to your garden. You know, if you've got limitations on where your beds are or whatever, add grow bags and you exponentially can expand your garden with every bag. No kidding. And so yeah. for honey, let me ask you one last thing too, uh, before we take a break, Joe, doing those cool season crops, when is going to be her busiest time of year? When's her start dates roughly? I, I, well, if, if you're starting from seed, you do that in late summer. And then, you know, you can do them inside or you can sow the seeds outside. With these cool season crops, when they really need to be cool is when they're 
putting on their fruit or they're producing what it is that you're getting ready to harvest. But in the meantime, they don't mind growing in a, in a hot environment. For example, um, Brussels sprouts, you know, that definitely is a cold season crop and we don't get the Brussels sprouts until Thanksgiving or Christmas, but you, you want to start them in summer because they take a long time to produce those. And uh, the heat isn't an issue for the time that they're growing before they produce the fruit. So start in late summer here in Atlanta, early September at the latest, because you need that time for those fruits to develop. Okay, great. And then once the cooler weather comes on is when we're really going to be able to see the, you know, what we're growing and be able to harvest it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And and most of the cool season crops are better when they're kissed by frost Mm -hmm. as opposed to coming into summer, like planting it in the March time. You want to plant it coming into fall when you get sweeter produce. Perfect. Well, honey, I'm proud of you. I think you're doing a great job. Up next, we'll have Lori and Jefferson with more questions about tomatoes. We've got to take a break and check traffic and weather. But you're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. Currently 56 degrees in Midtown, heating up to about 75 today and partly cloudy today and tomorrow for your Mother's Day. But warmer tomorrow, a high of 83. The weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right, I've got my guest Joe Lample alongside for this. And Joe, I want you to listen carefully to number three, okay? Okay. All right. So number one, though, right now you can be checking plants for any diseases or insects. The best thing is a gardener's shadow. Keep an eye out. Treat when necessary and look out for those insects that may start to devour your plants. Look on the leaves of the tomatoes, things like that. Number two, it's a good time to fertilize your annual and perennial flower beds. Give them a little boost. And here it is. Number three, remove suckers from your tomato plants. Be sure they're tied up on stakes or trellises or you're using tomato cages and you don't have anything laying over on the ground. Now, Joe, you know a lot about tomatoes. You've had years of success with them. Do we need to remove the suckers or not? What say you? Okay, uh, that's an either or. That depends. Uh, the suckers are those little shoots that come up between the side branch and the main shoot at a 45-degree angle. Each of those suckers can and will produce fruit if you leave it on the plant. Mm-hmm. So do you want more fruit, but maybe smaller size fruit, or do you want less fruit on the remaining original branches that may be bigger? And so when you remove the suckers, you increase the light and air circulation within the plant, and the plant isn't as dense. But if you leave them on, you're going to have lots more branches with more fruit. But it ends up at the end of the day, Ashley, it's all about the same as far as net weight or what you get out of your fruit. I, I remove about half of the suckers. So okay. I'm kind of right in the middle. Good. See, there's no wrong way, guys, here. All right. right. Well, Joe Lample, I am so glad you joined us for this hour, and I'm going to direct everybody to your website. Tell us one more time how to find out about this free webinar, Growing Epic Tomatoes. Yeah, it's joegardener.com slash epic, uh, joegardener.com slash tomato webinar. And that it will take you to a registration page for information on this free webinar. We've got four sessions coming up starting Wednesday at different times, and it's free. And Craig LaHoulier will be my co-presenter in that webinar, and he's an icon when it comes to tomatoes. You don't want to miss that. I can't so wait to meet him virtually. Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, and we'll be seeing you online next week. You got it. Thanks, All right. Ashley. I love my friend Joe joining me. We had some great time together a couple of weeks ago in his garden. Well, stay tuned. Uh, up next, we have some storm solutions for you if you were impacted with the recent storms in your trees. You're listening to WSB.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.